come 2025, 2026, this combined UFC WWE company is going to be a juggernaut. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Friday, April 7th. Today, Dylan Byers is here to talk about the media circus surrounding Donald Trump's arrest in New York, and whether the mainstream press is getting played by Trump just like they did back in 2016. And Dylan has the latest on why Endeavor decided to go all in on pro wrestling by acquiring WWE. And later, Tina Wynn drops by to discuss the political fallout from Trump's arrest. Have his legal battles essentially frozen the rest of the Republican presidential field? We'll discuss all that and more in today's episode of The Powers That Be. Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am. I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad Bed Cooling System is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for powers that be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleep.com dot me slash powers because you're not just investing in better sleep you're creating a better life happy friday everybody i'm joined today by dylan byers who i want to talk to about this merger between endeavor and wwe this is a big media story but i also kind of don't understand it so i'm going to need dylan's insight but first dylan happy friday i wanted your quick sort of snap review as a guy who covers the media, of how the TV networks covered the Donald Trump arrest this week, because there were moments where they had cameras trained on Trump's plane coming from Mar-a-Lago. And and it was just like a little bit of a reminder of 2015 and 2016 when Trump got so much earned media all the time. There were the empty Trump podiums, et cetera. I don't totally think it's the same as those days. I think the coverage is more skeptical, if not hostile toward Donald Trump than it was back then when reporters were taking selfies with him on his helicopter and whatnot. 
And I also think there's not as much sustained interest in Donald Trump stuff as there was back then. But I don't know. What, what was your sort of like media critic review of how that whole spectacle was covered? I do agree with you, Peter. I think that there's a very important distinction here, which is that the indictment of a former president is an unprecedented, historic, extremely significant event that warrants the sort of wall-to-wall coverage that maybe previous events that the media has gone all in on and uh, did not warrant the same level of wall-to-wall coverage. So I think what's happening is that you've got something that is actually very significant that deserves to be covered intensely, but is nevertheless sort of given the context of, of the last decade is, is I think, really hard and jarring for people. And I also think raises all sorts of red flags about have we learned nothing from the last uh, seven or eight years? Is history about to repeat itself? And are we going to make all of the same mistakes? I don't think that we are. But there were even aspects of the coverage, particularly on television, that seemed to be sort of unnecessary, right? Like, the alarmism that, say, at CNN, that Chris Licht has said that he wants to sort of tamp down and he wants to have sort of more responsible coverage that doesn't feed in to the drama surrounding Trump. CNN seemed to give in to that entirely over the course of the indictment. You know, the, this footage of... The, you know, waiting for the gates at Mar-a-Lago to open, following the plane in a speedboat, the footage of the the door rooms at the court, and, and all of these hours in which the anchors and correspondents are sort of trying to fill the void of having nothing to say with saying something, and then, and then invariably occasionally saying things that just sort of sound really stupid out of context. It didn't always feel like the most responsible way to cover it. Whatever you want to say about the coverage... It was great from a ratings perspective, and it was one of these rare cases where I think television networks are like, oh, God, the ratings are coming back. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's diminished returns. And I and I do think that as we go on through this cycle, people aren't going to need to lean as heavily on television for these sorts of events, even if they do feel like made-for-television moments. Look, this might change if he becomes a Republican nominee and the possibility of him becoming president is real again. We, it's not yet. But I think Sarah Fisher reported in Axios that last week, all the cable networks had really great ratings days when the news of the indictment was announced, and then it fell back to earth the next day. On Tuesday, it was a ratings bonanza for uh, all these networks, and CNN actually was competitive with MSNBC. They did very well. Yeah. But will this be the case You know, in a few days when this news passes? Because Trump is still out of office. There's still a bit of a news tune out going on, especially in an off year, an off political year. And yeah, I mean, you can see how the networks are going for latching on to these sugar highs because it's good for them. But I just don't know if people are going to like tune in every single day like they did when he was president. Um, Dylan, I want to talk to you about this Endeavor WWE merger, or, or is it rather an uh, acquisition here? Can you just explain to our listeners who aren't sort of like involved in the Hollywood media agency universe, like what and exactly Endeavor is and why they're acquiring WWE, the wrestling <laughs> company? It, it's a great question. Historically, Endeavor, uh, WME, it has been a talent agency run by Ari Emanuel, uh, far and away, a talent agent with celebrity status. 
um, who has been, you know, is sort of depicted in Entourage as Ari Gold. In recent years, over the last decade, Ari Emanuel has been trying to refashion himself not as a mere Hollywood super agent, but rather as a full-fledged media mogul. And in doing so, he has sort of expanded the business well beyond the talent representation business. Uh, And he has done so in a way that I think was initially sort of left a lot of people scratching their heads by acquiring red state America sports adjacent properties. First, there Mm -hmm. was the professional bull riders there was ufc the uh mixed martial arts and then uh now wwe and in doing so he's sort of created this holding company of a lot of different assets he also does a lot of work with you know live events programming and he still of course has the talent agency and they that talent agency has expanded into sports and all sorts of other things and this deal it basically takes that to the next level. And in so doing, Ari Emanuel and his partner, Mark Shapiro at Endeavor have sort of cornered the market on in the ring combat style events. Uh, Of course, UFC is actually a a live competitive event. Uh, WWE is scripted programming that looks, looks like an actual you know combat event. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Are you serious? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Did I, I'm sorry. Oh God, Peter, I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> but it's look, it's it's sort of on the one hand a really great move for Endeavor insofar as it furthers Ari's mission to become a media mogul. It's definitely great PR for the company. And there are there there's real potential here from from the business side to generate a lot more revenue out of WWE than uh, its previous owner, Vince McMahon, was able to do. And at the same time, as is almost always the case with Endeavor, there are sort of a lot of questions from the street about whether or not this was the savviest deal. And I think, you know, basically the deal value, what they're going to do is they're going to combine UFC and WWE into one unit that will trade on the market under the Mm. ticker TKO and collectively it's valued at 21 billion dollars if you actually look at the current market cap for wwe even taking into account the growth of ufc i don't think you get to 21 billion but their view is by tying these things up and having them all aligned with the endeavor empire they will be able to sell the rights the media rights for this for more money they will be able to identify synergies aka layoffs and cuts uh that will allow them to extract more value and come 2025 2026 this combined ufc wwe company is going to be a juggernaut and i think the verdict's still out on whether that's true but certainly what they've recognized is that Right now, live sports, live events are sort of the mm-hmm. coin of the realm for media companies, whether that is old media companies that are that are trying to keep their linear businesses afloat or new media companies like an Amazon or whatever that wants to, to have some of the special juice that comes from live sports. And I think they, they see owning this IP as a very, very valuable proposition for them going forward. 
And you mentioned the street being skeptical of this deal. Is that is there some cultural snobbery embedded in that? Like they just don't get it. Like why would you acquire a wrestling media company or like professional bull riding? <laughs> you know, there's just like right. opinion elites are just like can be pretty out of touch with what people actually consume. Yeah, and there's certainly I mean you and I have talked about this before what you know in, in in the world of entertainment we talk about the sort of delta between the audience numbers for Succession which you, you you know you and I and the folks we know talk about all the time <laughs> and then Yellowstone which actually everybody watches but we really don't talk mm-hmm. about at all. Look, I think the street is a little bit more clinical than that, and I think they're just looking at the bottom line. But I do think that when you're talking about trying to build a media empire around live sports and events, you're coming at it at, like, you can't... The NFL is locked up, right? The NBA is locked up. The really big things that people want to watch are locked up. Mm -hmm. The instinct that Ari and Mark Shapiro had to go for... To, to go for the sort of combat, mixed martial arts, wrestling, again, the sort of red state sports stuff, I think was a very good instinct, right? Because they it was accessible to them. And by sort of cobbling it all together, they are creating a business that is at least too big to ignore. And I think that the scale of it, coupled, by the way, there, there are all sorts of ways when you get into Endeavor's businesses in which all of these things can benefit each other and and the revenue becomes bigger right you can you can actually cross promote across UFC and WWE you can create you can tie that together with your live events business and sort of create all of these sort of like sponsorship deals around that uh, mm-hmm. agreements with various venues whatever there's a thousand different ways that i think endeavor can find additional revenue here and I think if there's any skepticism on the street right now, I think it's due to the fact that people are, one, not sure that there's as much revenue as Ari and Mark think there is, and then, two, that Endeavor is already saddled with a significant amount of debt, and I think they want to see, okay, now that you've gone out and you've acquired yet another asset, we need you to like actually focus on managing your existing portfolio, show us that you can create the revenue, maybe offload some of the non-core assets that aren't making as much money for you so so you can balance the, the budget a little bit. Um, and then I think investors might start to show a little bit more faith in, in this new company. All right, Dylan, thank you so much. Um, it was great hanging out with you at WrestleMania and uh, <laughs> we can do it again soon. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> Bye, Peter. When we come back, Tina Wynn has some thoughts about Donald Trump's big mo. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. 
You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be, netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Ben Landy here with Tina Wynn. Tina, there's been this instant consensus that's formed around Trump's arrest that says that prosecuting the former president has basically made him unstoppable in the Republican primary. Like other bits of, of totally ubiquitous conventional wisdom, I, I think all that could change in three to six months. We just don't know how this is going to play out long term. But I wanted to talk to you about why a Trump coronation suddenly feels so inevitable in Washington right now. And you had a brilliant observation about this, which is that in some ways, at least among Republicans, this has essentially neutralized or at least overshadowed some of the lingering concerns around January 6th. Can you talk a little bit more about that dynamic? Okay, sure. So in the past couple of years, let's wind it all the way back to when the entire Republican Party was looking at the wreckage of January 6th and going, this has never happened in American history. What a horrible thing to happen to this country. And thinking that the MAGA movement made this happen. It's so unpalatable to the rest of the country, to anyone in the Republican Party, that maybe it's time to move on from the Trumpism, MAGAism. And then in the past couple of years, not only has the MAGA movement resurged within the GOP, but it's also taken January 6th and turned it into sort of a holy day where America was being saved by a bunch of freedom-loving patriots who wanted to take the election back from the pedophiles. QAnon reference. But after that, you started seeing these arrests of people who were in the Capitol that day occur. No one talks about the actual militias that were there, Stuart Rhodes, the Oath Keepers, whatever, the guys who actually committed a plot to overturn the electoral vote. You saw all of these other people who just like stormed into the Capitol, showed up that day, broke a window, put their feet up on Pelosi's desk. They started getting hit with convictions in prison time too. And in the view of MAGA and sort of ultimately in the view of the Republican Party, they see this and they're like, wait, no, these guys are being jailed for political speech. If they were Antifa or BLM protesters or go all the way back to 2012 when you saw people protesting teachers unions bill in the Wisconsin State Senate where they took over the state capitol for three months. They view this as a double standard. They view this as the establishment, politicized justice system coming for them in their movement. And when Trump got arrested, he very smartly, if you're thinking in a strategic level, married his legal woes with the tangible feeling happening around January 6th, where he's like, look, they're trying to silence me. They're trying to silence me and my politics. And so they're going to do whatever they can to put me in prison. Kind of reminds you of a certain January 6th thing, right? And the base goes, oh, my God, yes. Oh, my God, our values are being under attack right now. That's a really big part of the dynamic at play here. The second one is that we have gone through like seven years of people trying to do investigations, impeachments, more investigations against Trump 
from Mueller on, and none of them has stuck to him, but it's built this reputation, especially within the base, of Trump being under constant legal siege by these big forces in the government, the FBI, Robert Mueller, anyone who's investigating any sort of impeachment thing, what have you, and them never be able to let something land. But they just keep coming and they keep coming. And right now he's facing at least two other investigations. So they view this as part and parcel of the narrative that the state is out to get Donald Trump. Yeah, I mean, basically allowed Trump to argue in effect that that he's been justified all along in raging against the system, against uh, these sort of extra constitutional moves that he's endorsed, even violence against the government, against the system that's rigged against him. And it seems like a lot of Republicans, you know, they're, they're either holding their nose or they're sort of implicitly assenting to that framing in some ways. I mean, part of this has been driven by Fox News embracing it, Tucker Carlson specifically. A lot of more elite Republicans, it doesn't feel like they're now condoning the events of January 6th. But I do think Trump's arrest and these other looming battles in Georgia with the DOJ that you mentioned, they've allowed him to sort of reframe the events of that day. And over the past few years, that repositions him as a victim of all this. And certainly we're seeing how it's, it's put um, in a tough position, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, all these potential Trump alternatives who might otherwise be attacking him on issues of character, who might be attacking him over January 6th, saying it's time to move on. They now feel trapped where they're in a position where they have to defend him. Yeah. Biggest one, I think, is DeSantis, because one of the things that I noticed in my reporting was that his initial response to the news that Trump might be arrested or indicted for the Stormy Daniels hush money case was that he essentially just shrugged and said, it's not my problem. I don't know what it's like to give money to porn stars as if Trump was being a gross, naughty guy and he just wanted nothing to do with it. But he underestimated the degree to which the base views the deep state as a threat. And that, I think, was a giant ding against him, especially among voters who were Ron DeSantis curious, but ultimately were Trump fans first and foremost. Uh, There was this one guy I talked to all the time who put it this way, which is the DeSantis voter is a Trump fan who likes all the policies that Trump put forward, but wants half of the embarrassment. Like he's the embarrassing drunk uncle that comes to your Christmas party. He's embarrassing. He's loud. He's knocking over a bunch of stuff. You're just kind of like, go home already. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you kind of love him. And if you have DeSantis come in and just like completely ignore what kind of impulses motivate the MAGA movement and the current Republican Party. Not only does he come off as petty, but he could also come off as someone who just lets the establishment dictate what it is that he does. And for someone who's trying to position himself as a culture warrior, one of the things you cannot do unless you are Donald Trump is say, I am really a populist and then just like take money from establishment people. Yeah, it is interesting how sort of flat footed DeSantis appears to have been caught out here, not just misjudging what the MAGA base is looking for, but also seeming to misjudge just how much oxygen this media event around Trump was going to suck up. It does feel in some ways like Trump's arrest has sort of lowered the stakes of the culture war issues that DeSantis was banking on. He was really sort of building his candidacy in real time in terms of these battles with Disney over issues in classrooms, over woke culture. Do you think that that 
currency for him has sort of been devalued by Trump's arrest? Or do you think that those issues are still going to play for him in the long run if people begin once again to tire of Trump or if his legal battles get worse and Republicans feel they have to sort of abandon him? I think there's a long shelf life on those issues, which is why I think he's still in the race. It does make it a lot more difficult to execute in an environment where Trump is under arrest and when everyone's going to be talking about Trump's arrest for a while. And in the lead up to the primary, remember, that's when he's going to have his first pretrial appearances. That's when they're going to have their first hearings. The entire media market at that time is going to be focused on Trump walking into a courtroom looking like downtrodden, but kind of fierce. And that is literally just like logs to throw on the culture war fire that, you know, DeSantis could not possibly stack up against. I don't know, unless DeSantis can come in and make the Trump case about him somehow, which like currently I don't know how he would. Trump's going to own the news cycle from December 2023 to January 2024, which is like this end stretch for the primaries before they actually start voting and all the work that they've been putting in in the next couple of months will pay off. So if I were the DeSantis team, that's what I'd be acutely aware of. And they have to do something about Disney because Disney just kicked their butts in a very humiliating <laughs> well, manner. that too. Yeah. That too. Yeah, I mean, Trump does have the sort of superpower to make everything about him. And, and I sort of hate when people say that he's like secretly a genius who's always playing three-dimensional chess with the media. I don't think that's always true. But it, he does have a sort of savant-like quality for grabbing hold of the narrative, for making so that you can't talk about anything else except what he's doing. I wonder if it's sort of setting up a trap for DeSantis where he's going to have to be a little bit more reactive in order to create his own narratives to force Trump to respond to him. I wonder if we've already seen that with this bill that he's passing for permitless concealed carry in Florida, this six-week abortion ban that's going to be on his desk soon. Those will burnish his MAGA credibility, I assume. But at the same time, those moves have already sort of gotten lost in the tornado of coverage around Trump's arrest. And then on the back end, they're probably going to end up hurting him in a general election if he gets that far, because those moves are also deeply unpopular with moderates, with, with suburban women, with independents. It feels like it's sort of lose-lose for him right now. Mm. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, he can't really go back now. There's just too much momentum on his campaign to just suddenly pull the plug on it. But yeah, it's a very weird triangulation that he has to pull off. And there's maybe like a one in a nine chance that he does. Uh, it also would require him to have some form of charisma where he actually starts talking about Donald Trump. Like right now, he just barely refuses to say his name. He walked back on the I'm not going to do anything to prevent an extradition to this is a miscarriage of justice and I will not let any state try to bully Florida, but still doesn't mention who he's talking about. In the DeSantis world, Donald Trump does not exist, but... Trump does exist. Trump is the reason that the Republican Party is the way it is. And if you're going to make the case that you want to keep the Republican Party but not have Trump in charge of it, you're going to have to tell the people why it is they shouldn't have Trump in charge. Like, he's the big, shiny, charismatic television star who is better at communicating instead of this, like, pudding-finger torture lawyer who's at a podium and can't <laughs> do anything without the podium. 
No, I, Tina, I think that's totally spot on. And, um, you know, obviously we don't know what's going to happen. Trump's legal peril might get a lot worse. There may be things that come out in the cases that emerge from Georgia or the Department of Justice that really end the viability of his campaign. And then DeSantis is sort of waiting in the wings. Maybe six months from now, we're not talking about any of these issues. But I think you're, you're, you're right. I mean, it's totally exposed how DeSantis in many ways hasn't been tested on the national stage. He doesn't yet know how to talk about Trump. Um, and he doesn't really seem totally comfortable in his own skin trying to navigate between this far right base that you need to win a primary and the slightly more moderate Republican establishment voters and donors who sort of uplifted his campaign to start with. But we'll see how it all plays out. Yeah. Tina, thanks as always. My pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you next week. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13, and produced by Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck. Puck.